Welcome back to The Evolution. This is episode 61 with my friend Courtney Cottrell. Uh, my name is Jeff Bayless. You can follow me on Instagram at Jeff Bayless underscore. Uh, what we're going to talk about in this episode is uh, pretty much uh, right around the topic of resilience. Uh, a lot of us, uh, as we go through life, we have these, uh, as Courtney calls it, baggage uh, that we, we carry with us. And she shares her story of, uh, you know, coming out in the military um, and, and just what that struggle looked like for her. Uh, she gives a lot of good uh, perspective and resources for, uh, you know, how to battle the internal struggle that is self-awareness and uh, how to really find your voice and be your best self. Uh, so if you get anything out of this, uh, Courtney and I both would really appreciate it if you would give it a share to somebody that maybe is going through a hard time and finding their way uh, or maybe just needs to hear it. So enjoy. All right. And we're live. Hey, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I've been following your uh, message for quite a while. We got introduced through a mutual friend. Uh, and I think the work you're doing is very inspirational. It's very powerful. And, and quite frankly, it's, it's really needed um, in, the, in the world, especially right now. So, uh, Courtney, thank you. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate you also being flexible with my schedule. So, um, of course. welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate it. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty sure we'll get into like your whole life story and all that eventually as we, you know, talk, but I, I kind of want to just start with maybe what you're doing now, what gets you out of bed in the morning, what motivates you, what drives you, what's your prime mover uh, these days and how, how does, how does that, what does that look like for you right now? Well, for me, for right now, you know, what drives me is waking up every morning, getting ready to find some kind of inspiration um, to post on my social media sites. I do manage both of my Facebook and my Instagram sites, and you will always find a daily quote, a daily post, something that I can offer to the world. Uh, even if, you know, that one day it might not speak to you, but eventually something that I do post is going to speak to you and you're going to feel a connection. That is what motivates me every day to kind of get up. I look forward to making posts and having somebody say, thank you for your page. Thank you for this post. I'm going through this situation in my life. I came across it and it just motivated me to be a better person. So that is what I look forward to every day. Yeah, I love that. I can totally relate. Uh, I'm very similar. I think we're kind of kindred souls in that regard. <laughs> um, but so what kind of, I guess, how did you get to that place where this was your inspiration or your motivation to do that? Like, was there some catalyst in your life changing event that got you into this realm or did it just happen over time or what does that look I think like? It happened over time as I was writing my book and you, when you start writing you start having memories that come back to you. You start having sayings that were told to you by different leaders that come back to you and you end up taking those experiences and you kind of chop them down to fit like within your mental capacity to fit within whatever makes you understand or relate to it a little better. And I've just kind of collected those, those thoughts and those inspirations over time and remember what people told me. Um, and I kind of build off of it or just situations in my life that end up giving me a spark of inspiration to share with somebody else. And a lot of the times when I'm posting on social media, it's because I've been through something or I've heard something or somebody told me something probably within that day, that week, that month that kind of just sparked me to, to share with the rest of the world. So it, it came over time as I was writing my book, things just started coming to me. Cool. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the book then. What is the, uh, I mean, unapologetically uh, favored, right? And 
what is the, what is the book about? Like, what's uh, what what inspired you to write the book? Uh, what what can a, a reader expect uh, to get out of that? So two years ago, 2018, I, uh, I I made a post on Facebook, which was you know we all make posts, you know, thoughts and opinions, and I I didn't realize how long this post was. I didn't think nobody was gonna read it. So I posted <laughs> it. You know, we see a long post, we just scroll. We're like, you know, we just like it, keep scrolling. Nobody really reads it. TLDR, but, too long. Oh didn't my read goodness. It. <laughs> But people started reading this post and they started responding on the post. I was being sent different messages um, behind the scenes saying how they could relate so much to this post, how they thought they, they were the only ones going through anything. And, you know, I was speaking the truth. And, and the post was just pretty much around Veterans Day because we get a lot of people that are thankful for our service and, you know, and our sacrifice. But sometimes I feel like they don't understand what really t goes on behind the uniform the long days, the long nights of worrying about your sailors and having to make deadlines and trying to figure out how you're going to make things work out when you know you don't really have the resources to make them work out. When you're trying to take care of your sailors who don't know how to take care of themselves, but yet they're still considered to be an adult, then we handle our own personal lives by not knowing how to handle our personal lives because we don't, we've been so long and so, you know, just buried into taking care of our sailors that when we get home, our families are falling apart, kids are on drugs, parents are sick. We have financial issues, so we turn to the bottle. We turn to drugs. You know, we just kind of, you know, just seclude ourselves in a closet somewhere because we don't know what to ask for help. And I wanted just to let the world know that it is more behind this uniform. When you're saying sacrifice, we sacrifice everything a lot of the times, including our families, including our identities, because we only mm -hmm. identify with the rank that we're wearing on our uniform. So someone told me I needed to write a book. And I said, you know, I want, I'm going to write a book, but I want this book to be about sailors or either just, just military service members in general, what their struggles were and how they overcame their struggles. And I wanted stories from the spouses because a lot of the times people say the spouses don't serve. And I think I, I do believe the spouses do serve because they have to pick up where it's left off when a service member has to be deployed somewhere and you don't know when they're coming back. And you went from a two a parent household down to, you know, a one parent household and you got four or five kids and some people's lives, they got 10 kids for real. And you're trying to juggle the schedule, juggle the finances, juggle the health, juggle everything without feeling overwhelmed and they get lost. They get forgot about. So I, I fished out these, the, the idea to a couple of friends and everybody said that, you know, they're going to send me a story. Jeff, it's been like two years. I'm still waiting on these stories to come in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, well, you know what? Um, I had a good friend of mine, Leon Walker. He said, Courtney, don't worry about their stories. He said, you need to tell your own story because, you know, you're an African-American female in a leadership position in the Navy and you're a lesbian. Somebody out there right now is walking in your shoes and they do not have anybody to talk to. They are scared. They can't, you know, be themselves. They don't have any confidence because they feel like the world, they, are, they don't have any value in the world. It's like shunning them. You need to share your story. And I was like, man, nobody wants to read my story. But then I think about how nosy we are. We like reality TV shows and stuff. Everybody's going to read this book because people are nosy. So I wrote the book and in writing the book, it became very therapeutic. So my book is about my, my growing up and dealing with things at a young age and knowing who I was at a young age but not knowing, knowing who I was, but not really knowing who I was. Right. Um, you know, I'm 70 years old reading Playboy magazines because I love looking at ladies in the Playboy magazines at mm. seven. I'm in second grade, but I didn't know there was a title to that. I didn't know that was a, a sexual thing. I just knew what I liked. That was it. So 
hiding that growing up, not, you know, not confronting it because how dare you growing up in the South, going to church, you know, eight days out of a week. Um, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you're not supposed to live your life like that. You know, it's men and woman. That's it. There is no other way. So I, I, I kept that buried inside. I go to the military, don't ask, don't tell. Again, kept it buried inside because my mom's scared I'm going to kick out the Navy. I didn't want to go back home looking like a failure. Um, so, you know, I tried to conform to a regular lifestyle and live my life the way I thought people would wanted to see, how they wanted to see me. Um, meaning I got married and I was unhappy because I was not being me. Yeah. I was too consumed worrying about what other people were thinking of me instead of not giving a damn and just being who I truly was on the inside. So that marriage ended real quick because <laughs> I ended up building up a little confidence, a little courage to just start living my life the way I felt like I should be living my life and not nobody else. Uh, and then from there, it goes on through my relationship struggles, coming out as a lesbian, um, coming up in the ranks in the military. I mean, I had a breakdown because I didn't know anybody like me. I didn't know anybody to talk to. I didn't have a mentor that I can confide in or trust. Because don't ask, don't tell. If you, you had to worry about, you know, even if that one person you thought you could trust turns on you, they can go and say, well, I heard this person was gay. And you'll right. be put out. So you, you kind of grew up learning and conforming and, and being conditioned to keep everything inside of you and don't tell nobody your secret. But being at work, around your coworkers, you know, and everybody wants to go out for dinner and, and bring their husbands and their wives. And you're just like, you want, you have to come single, even though you have somebody at home, you know, and you, you could, and it, it's just, it's a, it's a true, true burden that people should not have to live. And I'm glad they don't have to live that anymore. And going through the heartbreaks and going through relationship failures to the point where I lost myself in my job. I, I lost myself in my career. You know, I, at one point, I contemplated suicide as well. So, you know, I, I've been there, I've done that. And I had one good friend that kind of stuck to me, stuck by my side and helped me out a lot. And um, she, I'm, that's why I'm still here. But I, I knew, had a lot of setbacks, but I always believe, you know, a minor setback gives you a, a major comeback. So a lot of the times when we think we're being planted in a dark, dark area, you're not being buried, you're being planted so you can grow again. And your water source is going to come from all the mentors and all the people that love you. They're going to pour into you, you know, let them do that so that you can grow. And I think that's how I became who I am now, just fighting different battles and just saying, you know what? Nobody's life is perfect. Our paths in life will never be perfect. Nobody said they were going to be perfect, but you will be guided along that path and you will never be given more than you can handle. So I, I kept that faith. I learned how to invest in myself. I learned how to say, you know what? I don't care about anybody else. I'm going to do me. Um, if you don't like me, that's fine. Because I live by the six F's. And I'll tell you what those F's are later on. <laughs> that's what motivates me to keep going, knowing that, you know, somebody that's temporary in my life should not make a permanent impact in my emotions. So, Yeah, I love all that. I, I talk a lot about, you know, uh, in my own experience, I wore a mask of masculinity uh, and I think we all have like a feminine and masculine energy within ourselves, right? And a lot of, for guys, uh, especially like Bosa mates, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. we wear this, you know, tough, uh, you know, I got like tattoos on my hands, right? Like, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, but it, it's like, it's exhausting at some point when you just can't be yourself and find your own voice and, and be really who you're, and, and I think more importantly, like we want to see you as you really are. Like, we don't want you to pretend like you're somebody else. Uh, so yeah, I love all that. I was getting goosebumps just listening to you talk. Like that's exactly, 
that's exactly the message that people need to hear is that, you know, it's okay to be you. It's okay to, you know, love yourself. And it's so easy to say, but it's so hard to do, right? It is because we're so conditioned to, we want to fit in. We want to be a part of the cool kids. We want to be loved and respected. You know, I say, and that's why a lot of these younger kids, younger generation, they all look alike. Everybody had the same hairstyle, the same haircut, the same out quote, because they're part of something bigger than themselves. They don't have their own true identity. And, you know, even go a little bit further into that, one day I was at work and I had another chief that I worked with ask me if I knew what I wanted to do when I retired. And I was like, yes, of course. Like, I know what I'm gonna do when I retire, don't you? And he just kind of looked at me surprised, like, really? And I said, you know, it's sad because we, again, live behind our uniform. We live behind our rank. That is our, our identity. But when we shed that uniform for the last time, when you shed that rank for the last time, who are you? What is your favorite color? What is your passion? What drives you? What's your purpose in this world? What motivates you to get out of bed every day and do something that's supposed to be work, but it never feels like work? People can't answer that question because yeah. we spent 20 plus years giving, 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 being a part of a mess, being part of a big organization. And when we depart from that, we're no longer a part of anything. And we're just a lost soul floating in this world, trying to find a sense of belonging here and there. You know, and, and it's sad. People need, have to discover, you have to find out who you are because you will never, like you, you, will, you will never have a, pers- a purpose or a passion. Because yeah, you don't even know who you are. To, to, you don't even know what you like, you know? This is something we do, uh, but it's not who we are. Yeah, I love that. Um, so what, what motivated you to join the military then? Like, tell us a little bit about your background growing up. You're from the South. Uh, you had mentioned going to church. And, you know, so oh, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, were you Southern Baptist or how, how yes. are you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, me too. I'm choir and everything. I love to sing in karaoke all night long. So. <laughs> uh, me too. My wife hates it, but I, 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 I can relate to that as well. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah. So but, um, I grew up in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, it's me and my brother, my my mom, my biological father was kind of hit and miss in my life. Uh, so my stepfather raised me until he passed away when I think I was fourteen. I think I was fourteen at the time. Um, I was just uh, I was um, I, I was I was a pretty chill kid, I guess. Like I don't know, I, I, it was I don't know. It, it, I I had a lot of fun growing up. Um, nothing too nothing too crazy, honestly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. So did did you like did a recruiter come after you or did you just have this, you know, drive to get out of North Carolina? Oh, or? So I was my well, my grandfather, he retired from the army. He was a sergeant major um, in the army. Sergeant major, I think it's the E9 sergeant major. So in the army, um, he retired, retired out of Fort Bragg. And I kind of watched him learn how to shine shoes. My grandmother had me doing 45 degree angles on the beds in the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was kind of a very, very military family my mom was a military brat um and in high school i took rotc all four years in high school Mm. during those times we used to have like guest speakers come in from different branches and i remember there was a senior chief that came in in his summer whites and i was just like enamored i'm like oh my goodness the uniform is just so bright white like it's so clean and crisp and you know he was sharp everything fit it wasn't no fear belly it was just like he was and he told the stories about going to the Philippines and the money and, you know, being overseas. And I was just like, oh, that's nice. So I can join the Navy and go over there for like a little bit, not stay forever. And I can come back home. It's not <laughs> like going to the army. You get stationed in Germany like your whole entire career. And you're like, oh, crap, I want to go back home. But you can't. That was my way of thinking. So I remember I, I they, we actually had a, um, 
like a military fair at school one day and Sergeant Poole from the army, this guy was relentless. He continued to call, he would show up to the class <laughs> looking for me to join the army. And my uncle, who was a retired uh, first class postal clerk, I remember he snatched me up one day and was like, niece, you are not going to the army. Yeah. He was like, I'm gonna sit you down and I'm gonna tell you about this Navy stuff. You know, and he um, was in Hampton Roads and he, he retired at a little creek um, here in Hampton Roads and he gave me information about the Navy and I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's gonna be a good thing. So I actually went to the recruiter's um, recruiter office to, to sign up for the Navy. And I remember the, um, I was in the, the delayed entry program, debt program. And when I first signed up, um, I was signed up. I, I came in for a hospital corpsman. I used to be a certified nursing assistant about two years before I joined the Navy. So I worked in the hospital. I worked in hospice care, cancer wards, on, on, oncology, pediatrics, and like um, respiratory um, stuff. So I had a lot of medical background. So I wanted to be a corpsman. They told me the corpsman rate was close to females. There was too many, of, too many of us there. I was like, okay, fine. So then my next rate was an SH. I had no idea what the SH was. And they're like, oh, you can cut hair. You know, you can stock vending machines. You can wash clothes. And I was like, what? So I go back and I talk to my uncle. And he's like, are you planning on opening up your own dry cleaning service when you get out of the Navy? <laughs> are you planning on, you know, working for Pepsi? Or you want to be a wife? He was like, no, you do. that's not what you want to do. Go back and get something else. So me and my mom, we went back and um, they gave us the option of, okay, undesignated airmen. So I ended up coming in as an undesignated airman. My first squadron was BAW-121 out in Norfolk. And um, they had just begun receiving females. It used to be an all-male squadron. Oh, okay. So just starting to get females, and it was a rough patch. Yeah. It was, a, it was a real rough patch in the beginning. So that's how I ended up here. And then 20 years later, I'm still standing. So So uh, I guess I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts or maybe just if you have some experience with uh, – or did you have experience with, uh, you know, racism or uh, prejudice in general? Uh, like you just mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. you know, being a, the, one of the first females to join that squadron, right? So, and then also, I guess a second part to that question would be, at what point did you start knowing that, you know, your sexual preference was, you know, that you were a lesbian, right? So then at what point mm -hmm. do you kind of, it sounds like th that would be a lot to take on, right? Um, so. It is. It can be pressure. It can be a lot of pressure at times. But you know, when I first got to the squadron, there was a story I shared in my book about when I checked into the line shack. Uh, I had a, a Airman Nunez. I, re I remember him from Belize. I, see, I could see his face to this day, and he was older. And I, I remember they, they threw me my cranial and like the little plastic bags, and I picked this thing up, and I'm like, I have no idea what these plastic pieces are. And Nunez rolled up to me and said, you know, don't worry, I'll help you put your um, cranial together. And I had Airman Smith <laughs> walked up into the shop and saw me and Nunez trying to put our, put my cranial together. And he went off and was just like, F that. This B want to be treated equal, let her put our own shit together. And I was just like, oh my God, this is, this is what, this is what I have to, like, that was a culture shock to me. Because at mm -hmm. the time, I think I was like the only female in there at that time. And I knew it was like somebody came in and just tore apart what they had built for so long because now they have to tiptoe in their minds. They have to tiptoe around me. Now they have to watch what they're saying. Now they can't just be who they are freely because they're worried about, you know, my reaction or me saying something or being offended, but they didn't know me. If they would have knew me, they would have known that 
you know nothing to offend me. I grew up with my brother and all his friends in the neighborhood. I'm like, I'm used to being around, you know, knucklehead boys, but they didn't know me. It was our, it was just that assumption because I was a female that I was going to be soft and be sensitive. And I remember from that point on, I said, oh, I'm going to have to fight this battle because you already think less of me because I'm not you. So mm -hmm. now I'm going to have to work harder to prove to you that I can do what you can do. I'm worthy to be here just like you are. And you're not going to just talk to me in a kind of, kind of way or assume anything about me. And I think we still, being females in the military, we still have that thought process in the back of our minds because it is so male-dominated. And we do sometimes feel like when the, when the guys look at us in the military, they're like, oh, you know what? You need to get an office job because you can't work on the flight line. But there are some amazing women out there on that flight line kicking butt. Definitely. There are some amazing women out here that are working on jets and, you know, working on machinery and working on the ships and, you know, fighting fires and doing the same thing, going through boot camp and, you know, just, just making waves, shattering glass ceilings and just going like, to the max potential. But then there wasn't that. Yeah. There wasn't that. So you, you kind of, it's not like you, it's not really that you have to shut up and color. It's just kind of, you have to sit back and, and feel, feel the vibes in the room, feel what everybody is thinking. And if everybody, if you're feeling the same vibe from everybody in that room, then you're going to have to put in some work to prove to them people that that vibe that they're all, you know, living off of, it's not, it's not a real thing. Yeah. So, that's, you know, it's, it's kind of a curse, but it could also be a blessing as well. Right. Because then you learn the skills, uh, because obviously you found your strength in your voice, right? And yes. one of my best friends is a, a bus mate mass chief that you do not want to mess with. And uh, she's, she's awesome. You know, it's like, you know we, like, because we had to be, we had to be conditioned that way because we had to fight. We've had to fight. So we are naturally going to come up swinging. We're naturally going to put you in your place. We're naturally going to have, you know, something to say back to you when you get out of line, you get out of pocket. I'm going to correct you on spot. <laughs> you know, but that's because we had to do that for so long that now that's just a natural part of us but deep down inside that's not truly who we are but going yeah. to work that's who we have to be to earn respect and show people that we're not playing and i'm just as worthy as you are yeah you're definitely as worthy um speaking of like being worthy of that uh you know you had mentioned having like suicidal ideations earlier um can you describe maybe, or, or even give some advice? Uh, no, ne we should say neither of us are mental health professionals, right? So right. <laughs> obviously uh, we have our own experience. And if you are experiencing something like that, please reach out, get help. Yes, you know, please. There, you know, do, do what you have to do. But uh, I've talked about my experience with that uh, on other platforms and stuff, but I'd, I'd love to hear, uh, you know, what that looked like for you, what kind of drove you to those thoughts, and then how did you overcome that? So 2013, uh, I went through a really, really bad breakup during that time. And during that time, I remember my niece, she had just passed away from colon cancer. I get, she was 27, 28 years old, just passed away from colon cancer. Uh, I was transferring to a new duty station in Great Lakes. And it was the first time I was away from home and away from family. And I come from a real tight-knit family. We celebrate holidays, birthdays, graduations. And like we're always together some way, somehow. And it was the first time in my career that I had to move away. So I moved up to Great Lakes and I think, I think it was just a lot of pressure on me. You know, I didn't know anybody up there at the time, really, truly, um, that I could confide in or talk to. And, you know, I just, I just didn't have it. And the one person I thought I did have, they just upped and left and went on a whole new direction with a whole new, you know, acquaintance, whatever. Um, and then 
album away from my family. The pressure to be in RDC was like truly, truly real. I didn't think I would be able to hack it. Um, it was just the days of being by yourself, sitting in your own in your own silentness. Silence is loud to a person that's depressed. Hmm. Silence is very loud to a person who is confused and doesn't know why. And they're asking, you know, why, why am I hurting on the inside when I shouldn't be? Because I know I'm a good person. Why am I going through this? And I was going through that. I was my, when I went home, you know, from school, from classes, um, from C school, I would just be in my apartment by myself. And I'm just thinking, you know, I can't pick up the phone and call my mom and talk to her about stuff like this. Cause you know, it was kind of, uh, she wouldn't really get it. And I didn't really have any friends real, that I thought I could call at the time to talk to about it. And it just becomes to the point where you're, you're hurting and you want to get rid of the pain. And a lot of times it's not so much that, you know, we want to kill ourselves. We just want the pain to go away. That's the part that we don't want. We just want to hurt up and get over with. But that healing part takes time. And there were days where I said, you know what, if I just took these pills or if I go to my, you know, my kitchen and grab like one of them steak knives and just slip my wrist, nobody's going to know. Like I don't show up for class. Like, okay, it might be a couple of hours before they come find me. Uh, and then by the time they found me, I'll just be dead. You know what I mean? Like those thoughts, like no crap were in my head. Like I don't, and I don't even know why I've never been that person. I have never been that person to think like that. I've never been that person to contemplate anything like that. But at that point I was there. And the crazy thing about it is, you know, on different media, um, interviews that I've done on television and radio, you know, they would add the question would come up, you know, about suicide and, you know, how can we you know, eradicate it. And I said, you can't get rid of it. Suicide ideation and, su and suicide, they are personal. It's a personal thing to that person. There's no chain of command. There's no one individual that made this happen to somebody. It is layers and layers and layers and layers of stuff that is just pressuring us to the point that we can't handle it and we buckle. So you can't blame a whole chain of command for suicide. That's not a thing. There were underlying issues. There was baggage. And I always tell people, you know, anybody in the service, they brought baggage with them to the service. Definitely. And a lot of times they haven't handled what was going on outside because they were trying to escape it by coming into the military. But they still brought their baggage with them because it's still unresolved. So now you have that baggage with you on top of the pressures and the expectations and the deadlines and the, the leadership and, you know, what you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to live and whatever as a service member to the point that not everybody can handle it. And then you put in their personal new baggage from their personal lives at home when they're going through divorces and child custody and sickness and whatever else may be. Everybody is not resilient. Everybody is not built with the same pain capacity. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. your, your pain resiliency and mine are totally different. You might be able to handle way more than I can just because you might've been brought up in a tougher situation than I was. So that when they talk, ask about suicide and they're saying, well, you know, well, there's so many resources. There are plenty of resources, but you have to want to reach out to get help. Yeah. I was a whole singer chief. I knew my resources, but I didn't want to bother nobody. I don't want to put my burden on them because it was my battle to fight. It was my personal issue that I needed to get over. I needed to figure out how to heal from it. I didn't want to be judged or shamed or talked about or looked at sideways because I don't have my crap together. You know, I'm a whole singer chief. You're supposed to know better. No. But I'm a human first. Right. I'm Courtney before I'm senior chief, you know, and we forget that. So when these younger sailors are coming and they're having issues and, you know, they don't know how to get over things, 
You can't say, well, you know, when I was your age, I was going through, that's not, a, nobody cares. It's not about you. It's a different time. You have resiliency because you are, have been here longer. These younger kids don't have that resiliency yet and they need us. You know, yeah. sometimes they might even need you to respond. They just want you to listen so they can vent like that little, uh, it's called the pressure cooker, like on a, you know, a big old pot. They just need a pressure, a pressure cooker. Somebody just to open that little vent and they can just let all this steam out to get it off their chest. You know? Yeah. You've, you've said so much good stuff there. You know, the, the compounding trauma uh, that doesn't get dealt with, you know, problems don't get better with time, you know, and that's, that's exactly spot on. You know, it's interesting. You use the analogy of a pressure cooker because in my, uh, evolution through resilience talk that I give to commands. That's exactly how I describe, yeah. you know, when I had suicidal ideations, I say the only way I really know how to describe it is like, you feel like you're in a pressure cooker, you know? Yes. Um, yes. That's, that's a great analogy. And it's interesting that I've, I've used that several <laughs> times. Uh, and yes, you know, that, it, that is a, I hadn't even thought about it as far as like venting, right? Like I've just thought about it as being in a pressure cooker, but that's, that's really good advice. Yeah. To, allow someone to vent. Uh, and I took that because I had a, I, when I first, when I really, really came out, my LPO, um, he was a friend, he's a master chief now, AZ1. He was the first person I ever told that I had a girlfriend. He was the first person. And that day, I will never forget that day because that was the first day that I felt released. That mm -hmm. was my vent. That was the steam coming out. And when I tell you everything just sunk and folded in and it was like, oh my God, I finally got that off my chest that mm. part i will always remember that because that that's a feeling that you don't forget when everything's been built up in you for so long yeah yeah it's it's you kind of mentioned it earlier too it's uh, i remember i was in uh, actually i was in knife and fork school uh when the don't ask don't tell uh repeal uh came out that policy so we, we were in you know ldo school and uh it was interesting because we had to go to like you know training for it and everything uh, yes <laughs> but it, it was like you know uh, i can only speak for myself but i felt like in the room it was kind of like yeah. Okay. You know, like we already, exactly. I had friends I knew that were gay and it was like, okay, like, do, I guess, you know, like we don't care. Like, why, like, like can we go PT? Like we already know this. Like <laughs> it's, it's so silly. But, uh, and I remember being on the enterprise and we were getting ready to go through, um, we were on the enterprise and I think it might've been 2011 when they started first, like doing everything. And we had, it was like, it was May, yeah. 2011. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the, 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 so I had a, I was a guest speaker for LGBT month. Um, I think it was last year before last or last year um, for Oceana. And I talked about that, how everybody was kind of like, stand by. This is about to roll out. Like everybody's waiting and watching to see what the reaction is going to be. But they forget the younger generations. We don't care. We were not brought up to like judge people and, and hate on somebody. I don't care who you're sleeping with at night. I just need to know that. Look, if we set GQ, if we go to general quarters, I need to know you're going to have my back. Yeah. I don't care what you're doing all the time. You know, but it was just so funny because I think it's, it's always going to be the older generation because that's how they were brought up. But once they realized that we didn't care, it was like, okay, we still want to work tomorrow. All right, we good now? Everybody got their chest? All right, moving on. Yeah, I think that has to do with where you put your focus, you know, and I, I think it's kind of, I, I interviewed, uh, you know, Amari Ponciano. Yes. Yeah. So I interviewed him uh, and we talked about how, you know, when the coal was bombed it, and I've, I've experienced this myself, like I've been super frustrated at sailors that are not motivated during training. Mm -hmm. Right. But then, you know, I've been in deck evolutions that are extremely dangerous and like they will respond. Like when, when it hits the fan, sailors <laughs> respond, you know, and we're seeing this on the bottom of the chart right now, you know, yes. like 
they there are sailors across the pier just itching to go help and yeah. nobody's worried about color uh gender exactly nobody's worried about anything they're just worried about exactly. putting out the fire and it's really it's kind of sad but it's also remarkable that it takes something so challenging to inspire the best out of us right uh but you know i think we should hold some space for that that and and just know that when it really matters nobody's really going to worry about these things you know like and i would say you know nothing's an issue until somebody makes it an issue Mm. nothing nothing is hyped up until somebody hypes it up you know what i mean mm -hmm. and we're conditioned to respond that way i mean like all right just for you know craziness the popeye's chicken sandwich right okay it's good but then everybody starts hyping it up and hyping it up <laughs> and it became like a media frenzy this popeye's chicken sandwich but it's a chicken sandwich like who cares you know what i mean yeah but as we hype things up everybody responds the same way you're conditioned to respond a certain way nothing is an issue until we make it an issue children don't learn how to be a certain way until we show them how to be that way or we condition them to be that way and then they grow up that way uh, so I, I always tell people that i'm like you know what i used to tell my sailors if you don't see me run don't run in other words if you don't see me getting upset or being angry or getting frustrated with something then there's no point in you getting frustrated about it yeah. it doesn't affect you so what's the problem it goes back to something you mentioned earlier, though, like, you know, you didn't really specifically call it outrage culture, but what we or even cancel culture. Right. But, uh, you know, you were talking about people want to have some sense of belonging. And that's, and, yeah. you know, that, that's exactly right. You know, people this this you can use in any team building exercise, you know, like people want to feel like they have value and that they're part of the team. We are it's the human condition to long or yearn for that, you know, belonging, that sense of community, that sense of tribe. Right. Like that's more powerful being a part of a tribe than probably anything else. That's, you know, why, you know, ratings in the Navy, they have like, you know, a lot like the Boatsmate rating, like there's tons of pride in that rate. Right. And so that, yeah. that's, that's how you build those tribes and get people to, uh, you know, love coming to work, hopefully. Uh, oh yeah, most definitely. So what's, what's next for you? Like what, uh, what was the transition like? Uh, what are you doing now? What, what, um, uh, you know, what's, what's, uh, what's next? Well, I haven't separated from the Navy yet or retired, so that's, that'll probably be on the radar next year, depending on how these results and everything come out this year, if they ever come out. Um, but right now, I'm getting ready to release my second book. It's a motivational, inspirational book. It is in the uh, process of being worked on and published and everything right now, so look for that. That'll be out next month. Um, I am working on, in the future endeavors, um, a podcast show through Transformation Talk Radio with Dr. Pat. She's an awesome, awesome lady. I love her to death. So that's on the horizon as well. Um, other than that, I'm just, you know, waking up every day, thankful to have life and breath in my lungs and I can still inspire, motivate somebody to be a better version of themselves. And that's it for right now. Yeah, you you inspired me today. So I know that <laughs> I know that anybody that listens to this is going to get a lot out of it. Um, do you have uh, any as an author? Uh, this is something I ask a lot of people, I guess, because for a lot of my life, I didn't read. I wasn't a continual learner. Right. Like I did what I needed to do to get an associate's degree or whatever, but I didn't read books for fun, you know, or to gain knowledge or anything. But I think that, you know, we we consume information 100 percent of the time, like whether that's a conversation, whether that's Netflix or a book. And so if you are mindful of the, con, you know, the stuff that you're consuming, you know, you can level up and grow. Right. And then you can really help people, too. So. Mm -hmm. That was a long-winded way to ask, uh, you know, are there some books that have changed your life that you recommend or that, you know, uh, you would maybe give as a resource to anybody? 
Um, well, right now, I think one of my good books um, is by Leon Walker. It's called Broken. Um, and it was, a, uh, it was a story about his life and his struggles. And, you know, because a lot of times you look at people and you, 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 you place your value on what you see and what you know, but you never actually know people. You only know what they want you to know, only what they're going to share with you. And we all have a story. You know, that's my thing. We all have a story. Never think that you're the only one going through something because you never are. And after reading his book, it just amazed me how he went through so much um, from like a learning disability, feeling an ASVAP and everything to go on and retire after 30, 30 years in the Navy as a master chief. It just, and he's still like my sidekick to this day. Like that's my, that's my, my sea daddy right there. But uh, that is, that's one book that, you know, I do encourage people to live because he went through some things and, you know, to be an open book and talk about, you know, being molested and, you know, being addicted to sex and at a young age, um, you know, just going through abuse within his, within his family, to be a man and come out and say, you know what, it's okay for me to talk about this is a, is a huge endeavor because a lot of the times, you know, we're talking about masculinity earlier, people, men hide behind that mask mm-hmm. and they don't, they don't want that part exposed because that would if you want to by looking at you like, oh, so now you gay or you like guys or, and it's like, no, just because that experience happened does not mean I'm a certain way. I'm just letting you know this happened, but I'm not the only one somebody else has the same story and they don't know how to get over it so he shares a lot of information um and a lot of good points and tidbits and um it's it's, it's very inspiring yeah i can relate to that i actually i was sexually abused too when i was a kid and you know yeah. i just i just recently kind of through therapy and stuff like that came out about it but you know there's power in that vulnerability uh it it's, is. it's counterintuitive like you think that you're going to be perceived uh as as weak but actually the the courage it takes to uh share your story and then to your point as well uh, when I first started sharing my message and my story, I thought I was alone. I was like, and and to this day, honestly, if I'm being 100% transparent, like I sometimes zoom out and look at my life and I'm like, man, it's like a movie. Like I'm watching a movie. It's like, um, but, I, but what I will say is like, I thought that I, uh, my story was so unique. Like I, I, I was like, I can't believe there's no other cheap boatmate in the Navy with a swoop in that's been through all the stuff that I've been through. But once you start sharing it, you realize absolutely exactly what you're saying that you know there are so many other people out there with very same story uh, very similar they're just maybe not you know as open about it but it is it is a hundred percent it's a human experience you know life is and that's that baggage that we bring with us into the military that we're still holding on to because we haven't resolved it yet and you're walking around with this baggage and you're just stuffing more stuff stuffing more stuff you know that the navy's requiring of you and that bag just gets heavy you know, that's not, and we all, if we were to take a poll and ask sailors in the Navy, you know, what happened to you when you were growing up, there would be so many different stories and you, it would just be amazed. And, and, and I say that because out of experience, my first division as, a, as an RDC was an all-male division and we were sponsored by the Chicago Bulls. So all of my, my, my recruits came from Chicago, um, Milwaukee, and Indiana. When I, on Sundays, you know, they do a team building exercise, like the first two or three weeks. And I remember giving them a folded up t-shirt. And I said, I want you to pretend this is the flag. They were all standing in front of their racks in the the compartment. And I said, I want you to pretend this is the flag. So I had another sailor come out and I had him read, Oh Glory. First time they ever heard it, it, but it would never be the last, of course. So he's reading Oh Glory quietly, right? And I tell them, hold this flag. I want you to tell me what this flag represents to you. 
And I will never forget those males who, if you saw them in the inner city streets of Chicago, if you saw them walking down like, the avenue in Indiana or in a back country road, some dad way in Milwaukee, they would have never broke down and started crying. I was thinking more patriotic. This flag represents courage, strength, you know, you know, fight, battle, endurance, something. They started talking about their past. This flag represents my grandmother who raised me and my five siblings, did the best she could because my parents were drug addicts and locked up. This flag represents my mom who did what she could when she was being abused and I had to watch her suffer. This flag represents my dad. We're both, we were homeless before we came into the Navy. And they all started sharing their story. They all started crying together. And I think for me, that was an enlightening moment because I realized that although we are all different, we are all the same. Because yes. we all have a background. We all have a story. And again, we come into the military to escape our past, but not realizing in a couple of years, you're going to still fit that baggage on your back. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. That's why we got to break down the stigma. You know, if, if, if you know, your uh, arm is broken or if you, you, you know, don't be on the dink list for dental, that's for sure. You know, <laughs> but, but with mental health, you know, we're doing better. Uh, we are doing yeah, better. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really empowering. I, I love that, that story. Um, yeah. So I ask everybody this, uh, this question. Uh, it's something that, I've kind of developed this philosophy as a, a lesson of really from failure, uh, where I focus so much on my my reputation, <clears throat> excuse me, my reputation and my legacy, that I I didn't worry about my character and my value system, right? And so mm -hmm. it, it's what I've learned is that you know you can't put the cart before the horse, and if you just worry about your value system and character, your reputation and legacy actually just it takes care of itself autonomously, right? Like nobody yes. without any effort, um, and so. It's a long-winded question, but my question is, uh, how would you uh, describe your character? How would you hope that, you know, others would describe your character? What, is, what does that mean to you? And then what are you doing every day to ensure that that shines through? So for me, I would say my character um, is strong. It is resilient. Um, I'm a, real, a realist, a reality thinker. I see the big picture. Because if you don't, you won't really understand what's in front of you, so to speak. I, I, I relate to people that are, you know, going through things. I relate to people who don't want to speak about things. I just, you know, my, my character is just, it's just that, that confidence piece, you know, overall for me is what has grounded me, what has kept me. I know who I am, so I don't care what people call me because mm -hmm. it's only what I answer to that's going to make you respond, right? And I tell people, if you entertain clowns, they're going to keep performing. So I don't feed into negativity. I, I'm not going to the circus every day. Whatever you say and whatever you think about me, that's fine. Because uh, what you eat is not going to make me poop. It has mm. nothing to do with me. So my, I always preach confidence in everything that you do. I, and once you have that, you know, nobody's going to mess with you. Because people have a habit of if they see a weak spot, if they see a weak hole in you, they will nitpick at that thing until you just break down in pieces. But mm. if you have that, you know, you can say what you want to say about me. I don't really care. That attitude that you know who you are. You're not defined by anything, the color of your skin, your sexuality, your hair, your eyes. You're not defined by that. You are defined by your character. How you handle situations define your character. And like you said earlier, when your character is grounded, when it's strong, when it's resilient, when it's confident, that legacy piece, 
you're just going to leave that automatically behind you. Mm-hmm. And that's how people are going to remember you. That is going to be your legacy. Yeah, I love that answer. That, that may be one of my favorite answers I've received. <laughs> I'm so glad we connected. Um, I, I really had been looking forward to this. So I really appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, with my audience. Uh, it's, it's really, it's been remarkable. Like I, I've gotten a lot out of this conversation, so I know somebody else will as well. Um, if somebody wants to connect with you, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes, but is there one thing you want to just kind of plug uh, before we close out? I would tell people to, to find your identity, find out who you truly are beneath your work clothes, find out who you truly are behind being a wife or being a mother or being a teacher or a lawyer. Find out who you truly are at your core. Find out what drives you, what motivates you, what inspires you to wake up every morning and just, you know, kick the covers off and say, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. Once you find out who you are, you find out your purpose for getting up, that will ultimately drive you to your passion. And your passion is what is going to keep you happy the rest of your life. Without your passion, without a purpose, you're just out here floating around. So I just, I encourage people to, you know, find, find out who you are and then just walk in your purpose the rest of your life. Walk in your purpose. Yeah, I love that. Hey, thanks very much. I uh, really appreciate it and I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Uh, I got to say, I just really, really enjoyed connecting with her. She is a bright soul uh, with a lot of passion for helping others and being of service. I mean, I really think she's a, just a servant leader and really doing a lot of good for a lot of people Um, so uh, if you got anything out of that I'd really appreciate if you'd give it a share you know do all the stuff whatever Uh, I don't uh, I don't monetize this this is all about uh, you guys it's all an effort of service Uh, so it would really mean a lot to me if uh, you know you know somebody that can get something out of this maybe they're going through a hard time or you know maybe they they haven't found their voice right And, and they're in that spot where you know they can either pivot to the better version of themselves or sink into a dark hole right and, and nobody wants that uh, we all want to be better and i want that for you uh, so if you got anything out of it give it a share uh, could also help me out if you do a review like that's cool uh, not required though uh, i just really you know hope this is reaching the people that it needs to to do some good in your life all right i love you guys we'll chat next week on the evolution.